Hebrews chapter 6. But before that, we want to just review 5. So I'd like someone to read chapter 5 very slowly. Hebrews chapter 5. And then following that, someone else, please read Hebrews chapter 6 very slowly. If you have a good connection, praise God. Hebrews chapter 5, in NIV version. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Amen. Hebrews chapter 6. NLT. Go ahead, sister. Are you sure? Yes, please. Well, let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead becoming mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptism, the laying on hands, the resurrection of the dead, an eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, 
those who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and those who then turn away from God, it is impossible to bring bring such people back to repentance. By the rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. Dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we really don't believe that it applies to you. We are confident you are meant for better things things that come from with salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit promises because of their faith and endurance. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's intersanctuary. Jesus has already gone there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Praise the Lord. Praise God for his word. The Bible says, in God, in his word, do I trust. Trust in God's word. His word is life. His word is power. His word is everything we need. Stanley or Prashant, are you able to hear me okay? Yes, Pastor. Praise God. Thank you. We're going to back up to this important part in chapter 5 before we go to chapter 6. And that is when he speaks about Melchizedek, again in verse 11 he says, Concerning this, we have much to say which is hard to explain since you have become dull in your hearing and sluggish or slothful in receiving spiritual things. He's not saying that it's hard to explain because he doesn't know how to explain it. 
a good teacher who is very skilled and compassionate and wise knows exactly how to teach the subject matter. But if the pupil or the student is not able to grasp it, even the basic elementary things, then it becomes difficult to communicate and transfer that. If the child in sixth grade is at a second grade reading level, all the concepts and the preparation of that teacher who is eager and worthy of his or her title as teacher cannot make any progress with the child if the child refuses to learn and that's the crux of the matter. It's one thing when a child is not able to learn because of some cognitive deficiency or deficit, some psychological trauma, some physical impediment, variety of reasons why the child may not be up to that grade level even though he or she has been seated there. There may be a lack of resources. There may have been poor teachers before the child ever got to sixth grade and they have just pushed the child forward in the name of no child left behind. And here is the sixth grade teacher eager to share all that the child needs to know at a sixth grade level and beyond. But the child is at a second grade reading level. The difficulty in this regard doesn't lie with the teacher but with the student's ability to receive the level of instruction that he or she is supposed to be able to receive in this particular grade. This is what the Apostle is saying here by the Holy Spirit. It's hard to explain to you the things we would like to explain to you. You are not able to receive them because you have been lazy. You have been disobedient to the progress that God wanted you to have. And we don't look at this in isolation as a condemning factor because again, Throughout the book of Hebrews, with every warning, there is encouragement from a loving Father. We must learn to read the scriptures in the proper way. There's an improper way to read the scriptures in a proper way. The proper way begins with the proper understanding of the nature and character of Almighty God. We don't go accusing God and holding Him accountable for things that we should have done. Our responsibilities. There are many people who have a million questions of God. And it's like a rapid fire drill. As we said yesterday, the Bible says, let everyone be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry, irritated, annoyed, frustrated, slow to wrath. By way of extension, I include those other words because there's a turmoil within, there's a disequilibrium within, there's disharmony within the person. Why? 
God came to Cain and it wasn't God's fault that Cain didn't offer the sacrifice with the right heart. And God so lovingly is such a wonderful God. No one is loving as God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. No one. He didn't come and condemn Cain and say, get out of my garden. You messed up. You're done. He said, Cain, why is your face looking upset? What's wrong? If you did the right thing, wouldn't you have been accepted? Now listen, sin is right at your doorstep. It desires to have you. You have to master it. Don't let it get you. Now he already sinned. God is saying it's coming to devour you now. To take you down permanently. Apparently Cain didn't take that counsel. Too busy and occupied, preoccupied. What will people think of me? They'll see me and they'll kill me. Don't you realize that the spiritual death is much more deadly and permanent than any physical harm or death? The priorities were completely off. He was in confusion because he came to God improperly. When we come to the scriptures, we must establish this fact, this truth, this everlasting truth. God is all good. He's all good. He's all love, all holy, all truth. He cannot be tempted to do evil. The Bible says neither does he tempt anyone to do evil. He doesn't take pleasure in seeing people squirm around in their misery. So let us never approach God with a faulty concept of who He is, fueled by the devil. Let's come reverently, humbly, and quietly. Too much noise, we can't hear God if we have a lot of noise within us. We have to shut it down and say, I'm going to listen to God. Let me slow down. One of the biggest things that we can learn to help us in our walk with God is to slow down and listen. Again, as I read almost daily, Psalm 131, among other Psalms, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. He says, neither do I exercise myself myself in things too high for me. My soul is as a weaned child within me. I've calmed and quieted my soul. When was the last time that you calmed and quieted your soul in the presence of God? And he says, by way of comparison, like a weaned child with his mother, no longer crying for milk. The child is under control. The child has matured. The child is able to take what? The solid food. See the parallel to Hebrews 5. But the only way the child can grow and mature is if the child has a made those milestones. 
in this case, spiritually speaking, we need to learn to calm down and be quiet before the Lord so we can hear Him. Like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. The Amplified Version, in the brackets, it says, ceased from fretting, worrying. There's sin in my life, I must worry. It's a very dangerous thing. But I must take the worries to God and say, Lord, please pardon me. So sorry, Lord, pardon me. And as we heard last evening, confession is not enough. Repentance must be there. There must be a sincere, wholehearted, vehement, militant, Focus on that thing that displeased God and got me into trouble. To get it out at all costs. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. In just three verses in Psalm 131. We see the remedy for pride. It's within us, each of us, to shut down the pride. Otherwise God would not hold us accountable for being proud. Anyone can go to God and say, you made me proud, which would be a complete lie. God only makes good. Hallelujah. But mankind, men, women and children, by wicked inventions, have given them, they've sold themselves as God charged Israel and Judah. You are people who have sold yourselves to do evil. Now stop. His mercy with God. I'm so thankful to my God that I know the living God. Hallelujah. Never have to be in doubt or fear, anxious that God is unpredictable. God is very predictable. He has given us his whole track record of how he deals with humanity. And you and I are no exception. He reveals himself in his own name, as he did to Moses, so we find in the Psalms, and in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the law came by Moses, but grace and truth by Jesus Christ our Lord. For the wages of sin, the paycheck I earned for getting away from God doing evil, was death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where sin did abound, it was out of control, devastating my life. Grace did much more abound. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. We have the ability within us to shut down pride. One of the first things we need to do is to shut down the noise, the clamor. Say to the soul, speak to yourself. Say, soul, why are you disquieted within me? What's going on with you? Stop. Hope in God. He shall yet help you strengthen you. He's the help of my countenance. God is able to do 
not a quick fix me job, but exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Have you experienced that? Can we say these promises and say, I know exactly what that is. Oh, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. When all hope was gone, my God came through. And God who commanded me to repent, He's given me grace with the commandment to repent. I can do it. The devil that lies and says you can't do it, he won't accept you. Look what he said to Cain, that wicked man. He came lovingly. He said to Judas, friend, do you betray the son of man with a kiss? Judas had a lot of time, enough time. He saw tremendous miracles. He was privileged among very few people. The grand scheme of the population of mankind from the dawn of man to the end of history. He was among a very great minority who got to sit with God in the flesh. Eat with God in the flesh. Hear God in the flesh. He saw, Judas did. Judas saw, just like the others, God walking on the beach, on the shore. He saw God multiplying the resources miraculously. He saw God touching with the power of eternity to heal people who had no hope. Oh my God. He saw God's mercy. Understanding that this is God walking in right in front of me in the flesh. He knows all my thoughts. And then he was deceived because of what? Greed. And pride. And he went downhill rather quickly. All these things are given to us so we don't end up like that. God's grace is coming to you this morning if you hear this word of grace. As you heard last evening, don't make excuses. Like Saul, there are people who say, I'll blame it on the environment. The environment can affect people for sure. Physical and social environment especially. However, God's power is greater than any influence of the devil. God is able to shatter the shackles. Hallelujah. When the devil and man in our own heart influenced by the devil to fear, to worry, the pride says you're no good you're not going to make it God says you can make it if you but repent and you can repent there are many people on their way to heaven and who will make it to heaven who have been some of the cruelest most wickedest people you could ever have seen They found all of the sins 
buried underneath that cleansing flood of the blood of Jesus Christ. And they come up out of the water brand new to serve the Lord. People who are notorious for evil. This morning we're speaking things that concern our responsibility with the grace that God gives. Not all our own doing. It's God who puts the desire in us to both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He gives grace. We need to stop the conversation with the devil. Somebody says, oh no, I'm not talking with the devil, Pastor. I don't talk with the devil. I know he's a crook. He will deceive me. He will try to hurt me and kill me, take me to hell. I don't talk to the devil, but do you entertain his conversations? Remember, the enemy has access to our minds if we give him access. You need to shut it down and curse that evil spirit talking things that are negative and say, God has grace for me. God didn't come to give a negative gospel. He didn't say God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever keeps the 613 commandments and climbs the Himalayas and does meditation on the Tibetan mountains and goes and helps a hundred charities and sweats it out in the procession, in parades, religious rituals. No. He said, whoever believes in him should not perish. On the contrary, have everlasting life. These Hebrew Christians were knowledgeable about the fact that Jesus is the Messiah and not just had head knowledge, they had a heart experience, H-E-A-R-T, heart transformation. They did. But the devil was looking to see, like he tried with Simon Peter, who I can sift, who can I catch, who has an open door, who is weak, will not trust God, but will have God on the one hand and have the world in their own two cents, as we heard last night, it's only two cents. Don't bring it into the equation. Listen to God's wisdom, the everlasting wealth. Now, when I read Hebrews chapter 5, especially this last section, verses 11 to 14, it's not so I can preach. It's not so I can say, well, those Hebrew Christians, and this is what it was, it's for me and it's for you. Where am I? Am I a baby? Or am I growing to become strong? What is milk anyway? A person can ask, how do I know if I am not ready for solid food, I'm still clinging to milk when I should be done with that and go on. It's when there's an inner volcano there, unsettling feelings that are entertained. Strife. How long will we continue to be jealous? How long will we continue to be carnal? How long will we cast lustful eyes for things and people in position. How long will we bicker and have disputes among ourselves? When are we going to settle that? Knowing that these things are nailed to the cross, I don't go back to them. 
That's what keeps a person a baby, not ready for solid food. Allowing carnal appetite to take over and refusing to see sin for what it is. This goes for every one of us. If I deliberately entertain idle chatter, idle words, that means I'm despising God's commandment and warning that we'll be judged and called to account for every idle word. There's no fear of God there. It's a cry for grace, 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 and having the hands lifted up, worshiping God, and doing a dance, and maybe some charity work to quell the conscience, and say, you did good today, and having a host of evil intentions and thoughts within. We need to say, Lord, before I perform anything externally, there needs to be an inward surrender. How many people do you know that are active in, quote-unquote, ministry, they call themselves ministers and they are, I'm ministering, I'm going for a mission trip to minister. When their hearts are not surrendered to God, God says, I don't want your ministry. I want you, I love you. And when you're set right, then you can minister. Then it will be an offering acceptable to me. Otherwise it will be a total waste of time. Even if you do rear up Christian institutions and Bible schools and elementary Christian schools and go dig a well here for that one and you can do those things. God sees it, but more important than that is the heart. Man sees the externals. He'll be ready to give an award. You did a great thing for our community. God says, but you're not right with the Trinity. Always put the Trinity above community in this world. We preached on this before. It's worth repeating. Before we focus on the horizontal relationship with human beings, even in the household of faith. Make sure the vertical relationship, fellowship is intact with God. Because if that's not right, it'll be contaminating to have the horizontal fellowship. We'll be actually bringing in leaven. Doesn't that make sense? If our hearts are right with God, everything's fine. If your eye is single, that is focused and pure, and you see the way God wants you to see, you have that enlightenment, then the whole body will be full of what? Light. But if the eye is crooked, then the whole body is full of darkness. And how great is that darkness, Jesus said. It's a matter of the heart. The Hebrew Christians were encouraged. You don't have to stay a baby and keep bickering and fighting and fussing. First of all, quiet down and see what God is showing you. Don't beat yourself up over it and say, I'm no good and I'm going to run out and do something to myself and I'm lost. No, that's the devil trying to take you on a trip to destroy you. But God says, stay right here with me. It may be uncomfortable for you, but it's good because you know why? I'm going to diagnose you exactly with pinpoint accuracy so we can get the disease out. Why? Because God loves you. He loves me. And he says, in the course of saying you're not able to tolerate solid food, I can't give you anything further. I want so much to give you deeper things. To do what? Strengthen you. Fortify you. 
make you a powerhouse for the kingdom of God and go out and win souls and set people free from false teaching, people who are drowning in their sins, thinking they're Christians on the way to heaven when they're actually slipping down to hell and they're blind. I want to use you to lovingly but firmly go tell them the truth and recover them. How can I do any of this? If I'm a baby, me, myself, and I is a priority. And with that come the jealousies and the envy, the bitterness, the strife. Again, Paul says in Corinthians, by the Holy Spirit, aren't you carnal? Aren't you just like little babies? Seeing you have strife and you're jealous of one another, you're vying for positions and you're saying, I belong to this. Always looking to show off as if you're better than the next person. People do that in various ways, you know. One person is very vocal about it. They let their presence be known when they walk into a room. Hey, look at me, look at me. Let me raise my voice. Let me do something to get attention. Others are seemingly, seemingly humble, but they have the same problem. One is the volcano visible. The other volcano is hidden but it's still destructive. One person is rather quiet, but within them, a host of evil pride. I need to say, Lord, I have no room for pride. I only have room for the Prince of Peace. I'm submitted to you, Lord. Teach me, Lord. I'm, I'm choosing to repent today of carnality. I don't want anything to do with it. It does no good. It only leads to death. I want to live for you, Lord. I want your Holy Spirit to take me to the deeper things of God. It says, those who by reason of use, when they receive the food, we heard in one translation some minutes ago, that uh, the people are failing to receive, they're failing to understand. It's not just... uh, Capacity that's not there. There's a willful rebellion. That's the problem. When it comes to spiritual matters, the analogy to the physical realm ceases at a certain point. Because in the physical realm, nobody will condemn a baby for not being able to eat solid food as it goes through the stages. And if there's a problem for the child to ingest solid food down the line... It becomes a medical emergency and the child is treated. But normally we don't associate that with rebellion. But in the spiritual realm, the Spirit of God is holding people accountable. If you're a spiritual baby and you're continuing like that, it's not God's fault. It's not the way it goes. This is not the supernatural, natural, natural, supernatural progression. Something's wrong and you have to fix it. How, Lord? Repent. Acknowledge the truth and the need that I need to get out of this and grow. Leave sin behind. Be more diligent in how we hear the word. More diligent in the things of God. God says, be sharp, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves.
Who has to do that? God? No, he said, you do that. We can do a lot of things that we don't do. Because we're despising the word of God. It's not as important. What's more important is what I have in the bank, my job, my nails, my hair, my clothing. Instead of saying, Lord, the first order of business every day is my heart to be pure before you, Lord. To be like a little baby, spiritually, in a good sense, teachable, humble, meek. But, as the Bible says, be ye children in malice. When it comes to evil, don't have anything to do with it. Be inexperienced. Don't try to build up a resume doing evil. He said, you should have a blank resume when it comes to evil. But in understanding, be mature to grow. So, spiritual maturity is something that God desires and God says we can attain to it. We can grow and continue to grow if we place the value on the Word of God that we should and in applying it to ourselves. Quiet ourselves down. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. A wise person holds his or her tongue, only speaks when it's necessary. Doesn't mean like a robot, you don't encourage people, be into oneself and consider ourselves wise. No. You speak appropriately at the right time and say the things that the Apostle says by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians and Colossians. Things that edify people. Consider what you say before you let it out. Watch the gates of your mouth. We can do a lot of damage with the words that we speak to ourselves and others. Don't do it. You yourself has the capacity, have the capacity to regulate your speech. And it says in the book of James, if you want to be mature, if you want to be perfect, complete, control your tongue. And when we think about the tongue, after all, it's an organ that facilitates communication, speech, along with the vocal cords and the lungs and the palate and all those things, the teeth. But when we think about it a little deeper spiritually, it's speaking of conversation. And we can extend that to talk about what we speak within ourselves, the inner conversation. Don't say things that are not helpful for your soul. Don't entertain those conversations within your mind. Think God's word. Meditate on those things which are what? True and honest. Of a good report. Lovely. Praiseworthy. Virtuous. Think about the promises of God and what he's told you he'll do. And then think about how he's given you power to overcome. And, and then do it with God's grace. Cut the things out that need to be cut out. And then embrace the things that need to be embraced. Some people get rid of the garbage, but they don't bring the food in the house. What ends up happening? They have a clean house, but they're starving. Or if the food is there, they take little bits here and there, nip here, nip there. Still malnourished. You can say, I'm clean now, I got the garbage out, but where's the nutrition that is supposed to replace the garbage? Be fervent in charity. Have a 
burning love for God and prove it by having a burning love for his word to do what God says. There are some in our church that it's very obvious to anyone that they are very keen on doing God's will and growing. You know how we know? They're able to recount the messages word for word the very things that God has summarized and God has delineated, explained. And they remember it from weeks ago, maybe months. That means they're meditating on it. No wonder God says, consider how you hear. There are children who go through school who go to class just to pass. They forget the purpose of education. There are others who, as I recall my father telling me when I was very young, one of the great politicians and officials in India where we come from, years ago when they didn't have any electricity, they just had the street lamp which was very, very dim. Some torch or something, I don't recall exactly how they had that outside lamp, but maybe a kerosene lamp, I don't know. But this young boy would pore over the books in that very dim light. He can hardly read, but he applied himself night after night, became a great man. Not just any old politician, a man of morals, unlike what we see today. A man who is a, a, an example a good example for the people. He could have said, I don't have light, I don't have this, I complain, complain, complain. Ended up with the rest of the people living where? Out of the corner store. With what? Colored water, with high sugar, junk, fried foods, cheap, but junk, as well as making deals with the drug dealers around that corner store. A vicious cycle, generation after generation, until one person says, I'm getting out of here. This is not what I'm created for. I can do better. I don't have to look at my past. I don't have to look at my community. I don't have to look at my surroundings. When a person is determined to do something, almost nothing can stand in his or her way. Depends on the degree of determination. How much more for the Word of God? One thing is clear. The less word that is active within a human being, the less of God's Word that is active within a human being, the more prone that individual will be to sin against God in thought, word, and deed. What does active mean in that sentence? The less of the word of God that is active within... Active means there's an activity, there's meditation going on, there's review going on, there's a reverence for God's word, there's a clinging to it for dear life, there's a joy and thankfulness and gratitude 
And uh, prayers that have the Word of God, not prayers that just go off on a tangent and a roller coaster of emotion and roller coaster of thoughts and hear from left field in the ballpark and over there and all over the place. The prayer becomes a sermon to God sometimes. And it's not wrong to recount things God said and to pray that. It's not wrong. But we need to know how we pray. Is the prayer actually spirit-led? Why settle for less? And that's the problem with these babies, spiritually speaking. They were at a low bar in their understanding of what constitutes okay. I got some Jesus. I got some comfort. I got some of the word. I got some praise and worship going on. They're trying to have an eclectic kind of approach rather than focus on the one thing that matters most, what God said. After all, on Judgment Day, nothing will matter except what God said. If I focus on that from now, from here, and from today, I never have to worry about Judgment Day because as I take the word and it's active and I keep meditating on it, I will grow by reason of use. When God begins to introduce a little bit more, there are those who say, stop. I don't want any more. If a meeting goes on for three hours and the Spirit of God is moving, there are those who come for five minutes and check out. There are others who stay for half an hour and they check out. Others who say it's two hours and 35 minutes. I had enough. I'm going to call it a night. But if God is speaking, will we call it a night? There are those who have other emergencies. We're not speaking of that. But we need to know what kind of person we are. As we heard last evening, Saul was boss. Are you boss? Or is Jesus boss? Do we listen to God and the impulses of the Holy Spirit? Do we even know how to discern it? There are those who don't know how to discern. There are those who do. And they still refuse because I'm my boss. I have to do this and that for the house. and this. Mary was supposed to be busy with Martha, but she put everything off until she got that which would last forever from Jesus. And the Lord said that and he certified that and he put it forever in his word. Mary has chosen the better part but shall not be taken away from her. You know how we know when someone is maturing? They no longer call the shots, as they say. They listen intently to the voice of the Holy Spirit, whether they're in a meeting or doing other things. The one criteria by which they act and react, make plans, schedule things, break the schedule, is by the dictates of the Holy Spirit. By what He says. Because He knows what is good for us. We have seen the progress of certain individuals in our fellowship who as they kept coming to the meetings and they decided to stick around there's a consistency marvelous change happened I can call a number of people on the call this morning 
on the morning call to testify and they'll be ready. How the change happened. The simple thing they did was sit at Jesus' feet and not get up until Jesus was done. Which showed God they're serious about listening to my voice. And they're serious about heeding my voice. There's a growth. So there's a answer for those who would say, I know I'm carnal, I'm a spiritual baby, it's been a long time, I don't know how to get out of it. Push away sin. Don't look at other people. Look at what God has given you to do. Focus on the Lord and on your own soul. As we heard again last evening, take care of your own soul. It's the first order of business. Have that word active within you where you keep thinking about God's promises and His warnings and keep yourselves in the love of God, in the fear of God. Be satisfied with God. Is God someone that doesn't satisfy? It's the devil that comes, like in the Garden of Eden, to try to malign his character and say, he's holding out on you. You need a little of this and a little of that. The infernal candy man. Hellish candy man to offer us things that would Make us happy, like people in the world. Today I think I'll go to the beach. Today I think I'll go shopping. Today I think I'll do... Why? This is what I feel like doing, and I think it'll make me happy, so I go and do it. But to be led of the Spirit is to say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Lord, I've scheduled this and that, and not get frustrated, but God. Instead of saying, Lord, you want me to drop my plans today? Change my schedule? You're boss, not me. Thank you, Father. You see then from the beginning. I'm content to follow your will. Does it mean we don't plan or schedule? Of course not. We have to be responsible. But one sign of maturity is ready to drop anything and everything the moment God says drop it. Hallelujah. What a freedom. Instead of trying to be a control freak, as they say, we have to be disciplined but we have to be a disciple who is under the discipline of Jesus Christ to listen to his teachings and follow his lead not try to lead the Lord there's a beautiful growth when you see a person really shut down their own two cents to listen to the voice from heaven and you see their schedule their time the way they pay attention in the meetings and services the way they read the Bible the way they're able to discern that I'm not the boss. I'm going to demonstrate that by listening to the Lord and to the under-shepherds. This is the word of God. In Hebrews we'll see, in the very book of Hebrews, that people who are maturing in the household of faith are keen on not grieving the shepherds God has given because they represent God. It's right there in the book of Hebrews. We'll read that later on. God looks at all of this. He takes into account all of this. There's no independent lone ranger in the body of Christ. We don't come and go as we please. We need to be accountable and under the authority of God. We need to understand we're part of a body. There's not some kind of clearing house to come and receive and dispense things and I can go off and do my ministry I'm here to get what I can and go. no that's a demonic factitious persuasion from hell 
still about the self, what I can do for my ministry, how I can shine, what I can take from here and get over there, rather than, I'm here to be taught and be discipled, not given some tidbits here and there and some pithy sayings and some insights so I can go off and, you know, like a child that comes to school, sitting in the corner, half the time listening to the teacher, half the time doodling over there. What are you doing? My art project? But this is math class. I know. But mom told me I'm an independent person and I can do what I want. No, this is school. All the students come and do what the teacher says because all the students are expected to retain something to progress. This is the way it's done. Believers, many of them in church are like that. Even if they hold a position, given positions, whether it's the nursery or being a deacon or deaconess, still have the independent mindset. Eve was independent. Dinah, Jacob's daughter, was independent. They got into a host of trouble. Caused a lot of trouble for others. A person who's maturing will come under the discipline of God's word and under the authority of God and the shepherds God has given. This is what's written in the New Testament as well as the Old. That's how we grow. Pascrova for years she would sit quietly in church growing up and I saw some of the diaries beautifully written pages and pages of notes other girls and boys her age they'll be going there for other reasons at church and even if they listen it'll not really mean a great deal so kind of you know I get a little bit here and there but she was keenly interested in what the living God had to say and she has taken so many notes while being extremely active as an athlete recording leading Sunday school evangelizing walking for miles to bring people to Jesus counseling people much older than her very active and still having time to get up 3.30 in the morning even though exhausted late at night to walk and talk with the Lord and being under the guidance of the shepherd that God placed over her, including her own parents. Such an uncomplicated, unsophisticated, beautiful, simple life of humility and submission, listening to God's word, eating what he gives, making sure we're growing, giving him the glory, having the word in our hearts, not try to be boss and independent, but dependent upon God, not try to be a lone ranger or a shining star, to be humble, understand I'm part of one body and I want all of us to grow together. I don't want to be a busybody, but I do want to care about my brothers and sisters and I pray. While doing what? First order of business, making sure I'm growing. These are the marks of maturity. Hallelujah. Getting away from that immaturity. Not being able to get anything deeper but milk. Therefore, we're able to leave those things that are elementary. Chapter 6. 
get past the elementary stage in the teachings and doctrine of Christ, advancing steadily toward the completeness and perfection that belong to spiritual maturity. Sounds good. How do you do it? Let us not again be laying the foundation of repentance and abandonment of dead works and of the faith to God. The emphasis over and over and over again by the Holy Spirit in our meetings, right from the Word of God, is you've got to get sin out of your life. In any form. That's priority number one. Because anything we do, ministry or whatever we do, if there's sin, it's going to contaminate everything. It won't be acceptable to God. And as I've said before on occasion, it's especially a big problem with parents and adults. Because there's no accountability. I'm not under anybody's roof. Roof. I'm 35, 40, 55 years old. I'm my boss. This is my house, my car, my alarm clock, and my Facebook, and I'll do what I want to do when I want to do. There are a lot of people today who are immature because they're independent in a bad way from God's counsel. They become their own counselors. Because the perception is, if I'm not an addict strung out somewhere by the gutter, if I'm not somebody who has problems of anxiety and that I need to be hospitalized, if I am able to hold on a job or teach my children or cook and clean, and I'm okay. But God says, I'm looking at your heart and telling you, unless you have the love of God and the discipline to be humble before God and man, unless you are dependent upon God and not an independent free agent, consulting God instead of conforming to God's teachings, asking God to bless your plans instead of saying, God, what is your plan for my life? Unless that's there, then there are big problems. And who can diagnose this but the Spirit of God? And who will benefit from the diagnosis but the person who says, Doctor, tell me what I need to do and then follow through. I've often said this before, also shared from God's grace. The three kinds of patients who go to the physician. One goes, gets the diagnosis. It says, I'm not doing the thing you're saying. Right out. Outrightly. Looks at the doctor in the eye. And doctors are you deficient here and there. That's why you're having these problems. Let me give you what will help you. Okay, do this two times a day. Take that. and Looks at the doctor and says, don't tell me what to do. You know, I appreciate that you're doctor. I just came for a diagnosis. I'm not here for any treatment. Walks out. Even people in the world will say, that person is so foolish. But you know what? There are people in the churches who do that with God. They hear, they sit, but they will not do. 
And God says, forgive and love. Nope. Sorry, let's go to something else. A second kind of patient is one that goes to the doctor. Very humble, it appears, and listens intently and nods and every gesture and every word in the tone of voice gives the doctor the impression that this person is such a good patient. So keen on listening and says he or she will do everything I said and takes down everything, the number and the instructions and goes home and doesn't do a thing about it. There's another kind of patient, all three by the way, end up in trouble. This one listens very keenly, promises to do everything, goes home and does some of it. They all end up with problems. These are three kinds of patients that are not only shortchanging themselves, they're hurting themselves. They're deceiving themselves. And granted, in this example, it should be understood, it's given that the doctor is a good doctor, knows what he's doing or she's doing, and really cares. But the one that will really avail himself or herself of the physician's services is the one who listens intently and follows through exactly. Which one of these are you? Honestly. Do we listen to the whole counsel of God and say, Lord, I must and will do everything you say and I'm not going to let this message go. I'm not going to let this reading go from the Word of God. I'm going to be keen on this. I have to do what you say. No wonder there's no genuine spiritual progress for so long. No wonder there was a backsliding. Who will admit to these things? Only the person who's sincere. Only the person who really wants God's blessing. The moment we do that, the moment we do that, God's grace will come and furnish us with the wherewithal to get ready for solid food. We have to leave the elementary teachings concerning repentance from dead works with the teachings about purifying, the laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment and punishment. These are the basic things. But there are people who need to hear it and relearn this over and over and over again. Why? Because they're stuck there. They haven't done what they should have. They're in and out. Up and down. Defeated all the time. Contrary to that nursery song. I'm in and out, up and down, happy all the time. No. For many people, spiritually speaking, no matter what the exterior looks like, no matter their church attendance, their tithing, their ministry... The Holy Spirit looks right on the heart. He says, you're in, you're out, you're up, you're down. You're defeated all the time because you're disobedient. A major problem that we have seen in the church today is self-manipulation. What a dreadful thing to think that somebody would manipulate himself or herself. How does that happen? 
by saying things that are not true about oneself and to oneself. Blaming, as we heard last evening, everyone else. Instead of looking in the mirror and saying, what did you do before God, with what God told you to do? If there's a problem in the home, the first question should be, am I a contributing factor? And I want the answer, not from me, my flesh, from God, because He'll tell you exactly how it is. But, you know what? Most people don't have time. They run to some of these Word of Faith teachers and popular speakers, people that empower me, you know, make me feel great. And uh, I don't have to worry about sin because I don't think about condemnation and there's grace and I have to go and do things for God. And That's a twisted gospel. It's not the true gospel. Ye that bear the vessels of the Lord, sanctify yourselves. Be pure. Can you understand and perceive the grief in the heart of the writer as well as the hope? Look at verse 3. If indeed God permits, is that a sovereign act of God that he has to permit it? That's not what it's saying. It's saying, with God's grace, if you want to turn your back on carnality and remain a baby spiritually, you want to go forward, you want to take care of sin in your life, you want to embrace God's word and love God, you want to be right in the sight of God, you want to make that a priority, God willing, we're going to go forward. Hallelujah. For it is impossible for those who have been enlightened once, who have consciously tasted the heavenly gift and have become sharers of the Holy Spirit, and have felt how good the Word of God is and the mighty powers of the age and world to come. There are people who say, I know what revival is. I know what revival is. I know what breakthroughs are. I know what miracles are. I've seen it all. But are they able to be submissive to God and sit quietly and listen and do what God says to do thoroughly? It's not enough to have these things. God wants to know, are you independent? Or dependent upon me? Are you able to listen, sit quietly and listen and follow through? Or are you your own boss while pretending that Christ is your boss? Who dictates your schedule, your actions, your decisions? There are people who will not do certain things because they don't want to do it. They're lazy. They're malicious. And they know things won't turn out well, but they let it run its course. You know why? They have ready excuses and blame game in the works. When things fall apart, they know who to blame. That's evil. We need to know we can change our family and our world for God if we're honest and humble. Really honest and really humble. Really holy. Really loving not enough to say I'm a Christian I felt it all, I know it all or I act like I know it all been there, done that when they hear a word from God preaching to the choir God has spoken about this in our meetings as Kirk was emphasized when we're listening to the word of God listening to a sermon, even recording we need to be very careful how we hear, in fact it was D. Martin Lloyd-Jones a British preacher who 
was an up-and-coming, soon to be very prominent doctor in all of Britain. Very brilliant. Late 20s, graduated medical school. Brilliant. He's practicing in one of the premier hospitals. And he was assisting the physician's king. Imagine that. 20-something years old, graduated out of medical school. Assisting a Lord Hoarder, if I believe, if I remember correctly, who was the physician to King George, I believe, at that time. The whole world is open to him. Wow, he can really climb to the top really quickly. He was outside on the way to his uh, residency, I believe, in one of the hospitals. And he saw a bunch of people coming, making noise with instruments. It was the Salvation Army. Back then, they were very strong and very faithful. As an organization, as a ministry. And he said, here I am with all my achievements, all my prospects. He said, I was arrested listening to them, watching them. How they joyfully proclaimed the glory of God, singing. And he said, in my heart, I knew that's what I should be a part of. Now, he didn't join the Salvation Army, but he meant the gospel. Because up until then, he was going to church, he was faithful, he read the Bible, he understood the moral implications and the benefits for society, all kinds of uh, personal philosophy derived from the Gospels. Never surrendered to Jesus. Once he did, you know what he did? Once he surrendered to the Lord, he went straight to the coal miners, some of the lowest people on that totem pole of society. And he preached to them and he became a mighty evangelist, a man of faith and prayer, stood against contaminating heresies that tried to undo the Bible's inerrancy and supremacy in a person's life. Almost single-handedly he stood against that. How did he get the strength? How did he mature? He was a person who had the fear of God. And he said, you know, you have to be like a horse. He loved horses. He said, you have that muscular animal. Wonderful creation of God. Such strength. He said, you know, when that champion horse runs out of the gate in a race, it can be a mighty beast, well-groomed, well-trained, well-fed, ready to win that crown. As it's running on the track, if it should catch wind, catch attention, give attention to a tiny little white piece of paper, just a small piece of garbage, jumping in the grass by the wind, that horse can get startled and go off track. There's an instant recoil from that. Shirking and running away from it. He said, that's how we have to be with sin. Run from it. Have nothing to do with it. 
Do we have a hatred of sin? Do we know what it is in our lives? We have to get rid of it if we're going to go on to the deeper things of God. But this man, he left those things that the world said you have to have. The world even told him, you can be a physician and a Christian, you can preach to the people you treat. And as he prayed, God told him no. And he left it all. And years later, I think 50 years later, when he became a prominent leader in British evangelicalism, and worldwide they listened to his sermons, they interviewed him and said, how did you feel when you gave up your great medical practice to become a preacher of the gospel, Dr. Jones? Lloyd-Jones, he said, first of all, he said, I didn't give up anything. He said, I did not give up anything. I gained everything. He meant it. Just like the Apostle Paul. Christ caused me to follow him. Everything else is garbage. Hallelujah. You can't say that truly if yourself is intact. If God is your boss, you cannot be your own boss. His word rules in our lives. And the disciplines that God says we must have will continue and they'll grow. We'll become mature and strong. It's impossible if such people fall away. And the word if is not there in the Greek as some of you know. It says having fallen, fallen away, which is important to note because it's not a hypothetical thing here. It's a certain fact that is being emphasized that if you know Christ and you know exactly what you received from heaven, you're saved. For those who turn their backs on God and continue... Without repentance, they're nailing upon the cross the Son of God all over again and holding Him up to contempt and public disgrace and shame. That's how God sees it. That's what sin will do. Dishonor God publicly. It can never be hidden. And the warning follows up here. For the soil which has drunk the rain that repeatedly falls upon it and produces vegetation useful to those who's, for whose benefit it is cultivated, partakes of a blessing from God. God will bless that. Because it is doing what it's supposed to be doing. But if that same soil persistently bears thorns and thistles, it is considered worthless and near to being cursed whose end is to be burned. Similar to John 15, the branch doesn't abide, it's good for nothing except to be burned. Now, he says, even though we speak like this, in your case, however, beloved, we're firmly convinced of better things that are near to salvation and that which accompany it. But there's a reason why verse 9 is there. There are those who read verses 1 to 8 
and they start getting a little shaky and nervous and upset. And by verse 9, many preachers and their own dulled consciences lie to them and say, well, we're okay. But there is a criteria to judge who's okay and who's not. And we see it in verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget or overlook your what? What did you do? Labor. What did you have? Genuine love. How do we know? You have shown for His name's sake in ministering to the needs of the saints. You, you were not selfish. You genuinely gave of yourself so others can benefit. And notice it's not just past tense. The only reason he can say, verse 9, is because he said you're still doing it. In other words, the sacrifice and the offering of oneself, the good deeds, according to the Word of God here, authored by the Holy Spirit, it's approved unto God. God is certifying that through the Apostle. He's saying, I haven't forgotten what you've done and still do. Why? Works that are what? Um, superficial? I did some charity work. I helped this one. I helped that one. I prayed for this one. There are many people doing those things and it's not accepted with God. They pray for hours for people. God says you're a phony because you don't know how to get along with your husband. You don't know how to humble yourself. You don't really care about your children because look at what you're letting them do. You're like Eli, letting havoc run amok in your family and you're ministering to other people and you're getting things here and there off the net or whatever, trying to build yourself up and hear sermons on YouTube and maybe even good teachings. But your heart is not right because you're still an independent agent. You don't listen to everything I tell you. I'm not your Lord, truly. All of that ministry, quote-unquote, is a waste. It gets burned up. But in this case, because we know the author is the Holy Spirit, he's certifying about these Hebrew Christians that you're doing things genuinely out of your heart without looking for personal gain or thanks. You really love. And you're still doing it. You're doing good. But still be alert, okay? But for those who are not doing the right thing and their offerings are not accepted by God because their hearts are not right, right like Cain's was, not. All of that applies. It's very dangerous. We need to be careful. Sin is not lurking anywhere. But we do desire for each of you to show the same diligence and sincerity all the way through see continue in realizing and enjoying the full assurance and development of your hope until the end continue to grow in order that you may not grow disinterested and become spiritual sluggards but imitators excuse me imitators behaving as do those who through faith And by practice of patient endurance and waiting are inheriting the promises. For when God made his promise to Abraham, he swore by himself, 
since he had no one greater by whom to swear. Why do people do that? They want to convey that I really mean it. Well, there is nobody greater than God himself, so he swore by himself to tell Abraham, saying, Blessing, I certainly will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply you. And so it was that Abraham, having waited long and endured patiently, realized and obtained what God had promised him. Men indeed swear by a greater than themselves, and with them in all disputes, the oath taken for confirmation is final. It ends all disputes. Accordingly, God also, in desire, in his desire to show more convincingly and beyond doubt to those who are to inherit the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose and plan, intervened with an oath. This was so that by two unchangeable things, first his promise, his word, and by him taking an oath, saying, I will do it, I promise. So the promise and the promise to fulfill the promise, if you will. The promise is the declaration, the word, I'm going to do this. And then the promise that I'll keep the promise, I swear by myself, that I will surely do it. How powerful. God is so intentional and so passionate to commit himself to us. Are we the same way to him? We should be. He made the promise, took an oath, for refuge might have mighty indwelling strength. It's impossible from delight. To us who have fled to him for refuge, that we might have mighty indwelling strength and strong encouragement to grasp and hold fast the hope appointed for us and set before us. Now, we have this hope as a sure and steadfast an anchor of the soul that reaches farther and enters into the veil, the holy veil that separates even the holy place from the most holy place. Only the priests can go into the temple, number one. And those priests that are called and appointed in their course, only those priests among the priests, one to set up the showbread on the table, one to offer the incense, make sure the lamp is burning. All these things that are done there. And among the priests, the priesthood, there are a select number of priests who get to go into the temple, into that first section called the holy place. Now among all the priests, one priest out of the year can go into the Whole, most holy place within that veil. Who are we? We're not priests. But God has made us priests. Who are we? Priests that get to enter into the temple? What an honor getting into the temple out of the millions of Israelites. Only the priests can go in there and that too by course by order, by the divisions at the right time, appointed time. And where do you find yourself today, brother, sister? All of a sudden I'm in the temple. Not only a priest, among many priests in God's kingdom, I'm chosen to be inside the actual temple of God. 
the place designated, not the courtyard or the other place where the common people can go, but the place specifically designated to the priesthood, and that to certain priests at a certain time. Where do you find yourself next, believer? In the most holy place. How did I get here? Oh, the glory of God is here. Because Jesus opened the access. You know with what trembling those priests went into the temple? And how much more the high priest into the most holy place? And how the glory of God, as we saw in Exodus chapter 40, in life training school, at the end of it to show how they went from groaning to glory, from oppression to freedom and worship. It was so glorious. Moses couldn't even stand there. Nobody could stand there. And we get to enter in. How awesome and how deep reverence we should have for God and enjoy His presence. Jesus did that for us. We can't get there with sin. Believer, none of us can. We get kicked out. Just like God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. It'll be misery. That's how deadly sin is. Doesn't have to be, as we said, blatant over things that we happen to see on the street or look see in the newspapers that made it to the papers. If you harbor bitterness against your brother or sister, you're in deep trouble with God. If I am jealous of a brother or sister, I'm in deep trouble before God. If I'm angry with my brother without a cause, it's very dangerous. Angry with a husband or wife without cause, very dangerous. Playing the blame game, looking to see who's a scapegoat, who can I pin it on, very dangerous. Can't be in heaven with that stuff. No matter how long you've been saved, God will say, you're disqualified. Why? Because you're embracing that which I hate, which cannot be found in heaven. Let it go. You can come. I love you, but you can't bring garbage into heaven. Oh Lord, I, I promise I when you appear in the sky and you that heavenly roll call, I'll let it go. Then when I know I can't fly with this stuff, the rapture I got to be light. No, if you don't let it go now, you won't let it go then. Remember Lot's wife. Maybe she thought, oh my husband's nagging me, righteous Lot, and you. And angels came, and I know they're trying to get me out of here. Oh, well, well, maybe I do need to get out of here. But her heart was not right. Still a materialistic, sin-loving, worldly woman. She lost heaven. And the Lord said, don't be like Lot's wife. Remember, remember. Don't be too quick to say, I'm not like her. Let's go to the next page. What was the problem? She was boss. I like to escape if I could, but I do want to carry my stuff with me, even though God says, leave it. As we heard about Rachel. I know my husband Jacob's getting closer to God, and look at how God's blessed us. Wow, my father tried to deceive my husband and cheat our whole family. I know God did this. Who can give an increase like this? But I'm boss. I have my own gods.
remember the three T's as we mentioned the time talent and treasure only a true disciple will say Lord show me Lord I'm a baby once more in a good way show me when to get up in the morning what to do first what to do next how to take care of my household what to give my children we need wisdom there are a lot of Christian people that we speak to have spoken to over the years no wisdom thinking they're really wise because you see the effect on the kids trying to pass it off as growing pains no they have visible stains because of disobedience on the parents part we need to have our children clean by first being clean ourselves coming to God saying Lord here's my time every day you give me time Lord as long as I can breathe please show me how to be wise a wise virgin having the oil in my lamp eagerly looking for you Lord and having the wherewithal to be received by you my talents all that God has given me to do what do I do is it upon myself that I spend it or my hobbies and what I feel like doing no I'm not going to be independent anymore Lord this is what you put in my hands now what do you want me to do with the Father I'll do anything you say anything you say that's a real disciple Lord this amount of money I have and access to resources and wealth and whatever what do you want me to do Lord have you ever asked the Lord to go shopping with you have you ever prayed Lord I don't want to spend a single cent outside of your perfect will did you know that God wants to lead you in every detail of your life and it is only right that he leads you and me who has the sense to say I really truly have not been asking God I thought it was an automatic thing that if I spend time in the Bible and the Word and go to church and read and pray and do some ministry and teach my children about the Bible that I'm led by the Spirit not so it doesn't come that cheap we need to wait on God and ask Him the ones who value His guidance are the ones who will receive the guidance hallelujah there are people who have counseled they basically told us straight out up front directly and indirectly after asking counsel that's the beauty of it or the sad reality I should say what do you think God is saying what do you think oh no 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 I don't agree with that off they go when the word of God is coming with compassion with reverence and they end up in a ditch and we hear about it later some of them come back to confess I should have listened the others who say I agree like we said about the physician and the patient oh yeah amen hallelujah let's pray can you pray over me stubborn as an ox on the inside just like God said about the Israelites never do a thing about what was told we don't want to be like that we want to be lambs sheep that will follow God and say Lord I refuse to be a pilot or even a co-pilot with you you lead me you'll be amazed 
if you haven't done this already or have stopped doing it and have not done it thoroughly, and how many things will begin to change in your perception. You'll start growing spiritually. You'll be able to see things you never saw before and get it out of your life so that you can really be blessed by God. Don't settle for less than the best because God wants to give you the kingdom. It's His good pleasure. And He wants to help you finish the race successfully, victoriously with a hallelujah that will be received by God. Shall we pray? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for showing us, Lord, the very stumbling blocks to maturity. How we can remove them, Lord. We have the capability by your grace. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would shut down all voices, inclinations, impulses, emotions that refuse to be quiet and listen to you carefully and make it our priority to follow through and do what you said. I pray that you reveal more and more, Father, to everyone how to use our time every moment intentionally coming to you and asking you like little children, show me what to do, Lord. No matter what station they find themselves, we find ourselves in life. Whether going to school, whether a child, whether a parent, whether a homemaker, whether on the job, whether retired, semi-retired, whatever it is, every moment, there's a purpose you have for that moment and breath you've given us. Oh God, help us to live life on the high plane of genuine obedience. So we can be on the mountain with you, Lord, and receive revelation, be used of you. Help each one, Father, to say, Lord, these are the talents you've given me, the abilities you've given me, Lord. And there's a lot that I haven't used. A lot I've used for me and for carnal pursuits. And I thank you, Lord, and help me, Lord, to understand what your will is. And I'm not going to move until you show me. And I'm not going to delay either when you show me. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for showing us how to be on point with the Holy Spirit, in step with the Spirit. Lord, that everyone will say, this is my treasure. This is what I have in the bank, and this is what I make, and this is my resources. These are my resources, my assets. Every part of it, Lord. What do you say, Lord? How do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with this? And I know you'll speak to me because my heart has the right motive. I just want to do what you say. Not what I feel like and what other people tell me necessarily. But what you say. Thank you, Lord, for showing us these Hebrew Christians, Lord, of whom better things were convinced of by the author, were self-sacrificial people. And they were actually the same way when the letter was given to them. And the exhortation and the caution is that they won't become lazy, becoming smug and complacent, congratulating themselves. 
but they will be keen on pressing forward more than ever to be free from sin holding fast to the faith in the Son of God doing the good works and praising God, worshipping Him thank you Lord, help us to be such people as we go on to maturity more and more I thank you for this. And I pray, Lord, the pain that we have, the pain that I have in my arm, the pain that Jody was having in her teeth before. Oh, Lord, the pain that Carlene has in her legs, Lord, and Yvonne, Father, Mike and Heidi and Jeff and Jenny, others, wherever else is suffering pain, and those on the prayer list, Lord, oh, Father, those who need full recovery like Stephen, Lord, still 100% oxygen. Lord, confirm your own word with signs and wonders. Lift us out of our burdens, Lord. Heal us, Lord. Heal Stanley, Lord. If any affliction that he has, lift your people out of the burden. I thank you that through the affliction, Lord, many are pressing on, refusing to let the devil get the upper hand, refusing to let him not allow them to praise God. Or come to God's presence and read your word. Thank you, Jesus, for showing how we can persevere. God cares about my pain. God cares. God knows about the distractions the devil can bring. God sees I'm a fighter. Valiantly fighting the good fight of faith and doing what God told me to do, no matter what. All glory be to you, Father. In Jesus' name, I thank you for building your people, building your church to be obedient, obedient, obedient sons and daughters who make our Father's heart glad. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' holy name, amen.